Amen. Hey, we are once again in our study, World Religions, Cults, and the Occult, topic number eight. And Bobby, which one is it? That's right. It's Mormonism. You're on the ball. And uh, as you turn there to the exciting page three in the section dealing with Mormonism, uh, we're going to be once again in the workbook tonight. Once again, give it up, folks, for the anointed man of God, Pastor Tom. He must be interceding for us because we're in the workbook two times in a row. Even another blank, I think, possibly. But anyway, by way of recap, as you turn there, we've said, Mormonism, what are you talking about? Well, the whole thing's based on a feeling. Remember, a burning in the bosom. It's like, you can't discern truth from that. That's, that's not reliable. And speaking of not reliable, which account? Who was there? Who, which, who showed up? And which, man, nothing's consistent. In fact, not consistent. Speaking of that, writings disagree. They don't even agree with each other. There's no archaeological evidence. Mormon does not mean more good. It means like a boogie monster, basically. Extremely, extremely, extremely racist, as we saw. Joseph Smith was not a martyr. You're not a martyr when you pull a gun out and shoot people okay uh he was also involved in freemasonry witchcraft uh remember he boasted oh i did what not even jesus christ could do i was able to keep the church no you didn't you got all kinds of splinter groups you didn't even do that baptism for the dead that is not biblical uh and what do you get when you mix all this together well you get a bad source of authority because this thing is all made up again as i said many times before i used to say he was a good storyteller mm-mm not just that, he's a fantastic plagiarist. He's grabbing from this and this and everybody, oh, wow. And so what, what do you get? He said, well, here's our source of truth. We saw the last couple of times. I got them from these golden plates. Remember that? And, and it, was, it, was some, it wasn't just Egyptian. It was reformed Egyptian, which doesn't even exist. Whatever. He's making the whole thing up. Uh, then we saw even worse that he got this. He bought some mummies and some Egyptian papyri and supposedly got one of the books, the book of Abraham that he wrote. And it wasn't even that. He got zero correct on there. Uh, it wasn't even that. It was the Egyptian book of dead and some Egyptian funeral papyri had nothing to do with what he said and of course we left off last time he was a false prophet and what's the bible say in deuteronomy 18 you're supposed to do with the false prophet when somebody presumes to speak a word in the name of the lord and he gets it wrong god never gets it wrong what are you supposed to do well in the old testament you're supposed to get rid of him stone him kill him which i'm not recommending by the way okay today praise god for the new testament covenant i have to say that or that'll go out on the internet and you'll never hear the end of that one. Okay, uh, but anyway, uh, also, you're supposed to stay away from him, right? Stay away. Why? Because God doesn't lie, right? God never gets it wrong, right? And so if you say you got a word from God, you get it wrong, I'm done, cut off. I don't have to wait till the 10th time you get it wrong. One time, wrong, I shut you off, right? And that's what people should have done with the Book of Mormon, Joseph Smith, but they didn't, and they don't even today. But let's continue on there uh, at the, towards the bottom of the page, right? And that was the Book of Mormon. Remember, they got four supposed sources of truth. Remember, it was uh, supposed to be the Bible, but it really isn't the Bible, okay? Then they have the Book of Mormon, the Doctrine and Covenants, and the Pearl of Great Price. This is their source of authority. This is why they say, we've got a better word than you Christians, right? Okay, uh, but that was the Book of Mormon. Now let's get into where it says their doctrine and covenants. This is another one. You know, doctrine and covenant, what's that? Well, let's take a look. This contains the, uh-oh, here's your problem, revelations. Not the book of Revelation. Revelations, right? I got a word from God. God told me, and how many times I said, anytime somebody comes up to you and says, hey, I got a word from God, or God told me, what are you supposed to do? Run, right? Uh, stick with this book, you'll be just fine. Right? And again, this is why he went off base, because he got outside of this book. And, and if we get that far tonight, he even tried to improve that book. Okay, uh, we'll take a look at that. Uh, it contains revelations. They got a new word from God, new way to Jesus, a new this, that, uh, of the Mormon prophets. That's what it contains, this uh, doctrines and covenants. It's 138 of them in number, along with two declarations. And from this book, Right? From this book comes most of their doctrine, including their teachings on the priesthood, baptism for the dead, godhood, and polygamy. So basically what you got going on is you're outside the Bible. You say you have a revelation. You got a word from God. Okay? It's not true, right? But when you have a false prophet, that equals false teaching. That's it. If you continue to listen to a false prophet, you will get false teaching 100% of the time. And that's what we have here. This is based on their revelations. They got something outside the Bible. Right there, you should stop. You're a false prophet. I shouldn't listen, but you don't. So they compile it all together in a fantastic, convenient way of looking at false teachings. No, they don't say that. They call it doctrine and covenants. But that's what it is. It's a book of false teaching, right? Now, they got another one. It's called the Pearl of Great Price. Oh, it's got to be good. I mean, that sounds so biblical, guys. It's got to be true. No. How many times have we seen all they do is take something that's false and they wrap it in Christianese? And this is Mormons. Other entities do it too. 
right? Okay, let's continue on. This contains Smith's religious history, okay, his articles of faith, the book of Abraham. Remember the book of Abraham? That was the thing he supposedly got from this Egyptian papyri that was from the Egyptian book of the dead and the funeral thing, and he got none of it right, right? But that's a piece that's in this pearl of great price and what's called the book of Moses, okay? So that's what you get. That's their source of authority. That's where they get all these aberrant things that we saw. This is where he, he's hodgepodge it from. Okay, now contrast that with this, the Bible. I said this all the time. It's almost like we got so many copies of the Bible. We have so many Bibles, even individually. It's like we take it for granted. It's just not good enough anymore. You got to have something more exciting, something more fresh, something more relevant. There's no more relevant book on the planet in the history of mankind, even for today, than this right here. I say all the time, since when did this become old hat? Since when is this not sufficient? And yet this very book says everything we need for life and godliness is right here. You don't need to go anywhere. If anything, that should be a relief. And if anything, it should save you some cash. I don't have to buy this other stuff. I don't have to go down. I don't have to waste my time. Just stick with this book. Right? But here's the problem. How many people today say, oh, you can't trust the Bible. You can't, uh, all right? Mm -hmm. No, the Bible proves and demonstrates its authority, and that's what we're going to take a look. So, so we saw last time, this is completely unreliable. The Book of Mormon, the Doctrine and Covenants, the Pearl of Great Price, and this is where they get it from. Let's contrast it with the Bible. Let's pick it up here. The biblical response. The Bible is the only source of authority. You keep that true. Don't just say it. Don't just have it on your website. Don't just have it on your doctrinal statement. You keep that true. Praise God. You will never be steered wrong. Take it, cherish it, hold on to it. But it's got to be more than just a statement. It's got to be your behavior. I said before, many even professing Christians, it isn't this book that dictates what they believe in their behavior and what they do. It's their own personal opinion, secular society, educational system in the media, and their own friends. That's it. In practice, that's typically what people believe in. And it's a hodgepodge of everything instead of just this book. Just keep it clean, keep it pure. God never gets it wrong. Just stick to the book. Okay, the Bible is the only source of authority. The Bible, of course, is composed of 39 Old Testament books, 27 New Testament books, and it constitutes the God's, listen, only, underline that, asterisks, fireworks, something, a dragon <laughs> with his head coming out, JJ, fire, doing something, only, do something on that word, written revelation to mankind. Okay, now what did you say? Only. So again, if Joseph Smith comes up to you, a Mormon comes up to you, a New Ager comes up to you, Hindu is coming, anybody comes up to you, even a professing Christian, I got a new revelation from God. What do you say? No, I don't think so. This is sufficient for me. All right? Let's continue on. It's inspired, the Bible. Verbal meaning extends to the very words. Plenary meaning all the words. Infallible. It's trustworthy, unlike what we saw here. Okay? It's also inerrant in the original manuscripts of the word of god we'll get to that in just a second the bible is the sole authority for faith and practice it should be but unfortunately that's not the practice for many professing christians in addition there has been no other written revelation of god what's it say no other written revelation that's it how many times did god have to be clear this is it and again we should celebrate that again i shared before my testimony when i first got saved new age was extremely frustrating man because nothing ever satisfied. It was intellectually stimulating. It sounded like somebody was trying to give some answers. So there's a, a little bit uh, of, of seemingly satisfaction with it. But it would just never pan out. I go three months down this route and say, oh, that ain't working. So then you, you, and you, you get to pick whatever you want. So, okay, I'll try this one this, this time. And you're going down there and you're studying it. You're doing what they say. And it just, mm, just doesn't work. And so, ah, so you drop that and you, well, you pick up this one. So you try this one. And then and just, it was so frustrating because you never could know. It was always on the tip of your tongue, but nothing satisfied. But boom, you call upon the name of Jesus Christ. You really mean it from your heart? Woo! Hey, this is real. Something's different about this, right? Okay? But it's frustrating. But I was so relieved when I got saved. Finally, I don't have to keep bouncing around. And this is the irony. We should relish this. Oh, thank you. I don't have to wonder. I don't have to wonder what's true about life. I don't want to have to wonder about the past or the future. It's all, it's all in this book. I don't have to wonder if it's really the real book. This is it, man. This is, I've tried all, this is all, but we seem to run from it. In fact, the current stat I've shared with you before, in the American church, the professing Christian, I don't know the heart. I got a hard time with this stat, though, but they profess to be a Christian. Over 50% of the church no longer believes in the absolute authority of the Bible. And about the same number think that the Bible has errors in it. It's crazy. 
And God says, listen, there is no other written revelation. This is it. Old New Testament, it's wrapped up. It's all for you. Enjoy it. Get in there. Okay? Now, let's continue on. So you go, well, how do we know? Right? Because we all know these guys just, you know, haphazardly put these all books together. And, you know, they just were flipping a coin or something. How about this book? What do you think? No. Right? Let's take a look at some of the tests. Okay? It's a very deliberate act. And hello, don't you think if God is sovereign over the affairs of men, that he was also sovereign over the affairs of men getting the appropriate books for us in the Bible? Common sense. Okay, but let's take a look. The first one is called the bibliographic test, and that examines the documents. If the documents we have today are the same as those penned by the authors, this test considers the quantity of existing manuscripts and the time between the earliest copies and the originals. Now, why do you say that? Because technically we don't have the original. Okay, but we got copies of the originals. We go, oh, well, how do you know? Well, it's, it's a whole science, basically, because the more copies you got, then you can compare them and get back down to the originals. It's like kind of like a, doing a reverse family tree, and you get very exact. So actually what you want is you want more copies. The more copies of something, then you can verify what's true to the original. Well, that's what we got with the Bible. But again, as soon as you start saying something like this, people say, oh, the Bible, you can't trust it. Because all these people did was just, I hope they got it right. And they made these cop. No, remember last week we saw the Dead Sea Scrolls, even after a thousand years? Virtually no change. Small, minor changes that affected nothing like punctuation or a minor thing of spelling that had to do with uh, a dialect issue uh, in the Qumran community. That's it. That's it. Okay, unlike what we saw with the Book of Mormon, there was like 4,000, close to 4,000 changes. Major change, whole sections and things of that nature, okay? But the Bible, let me give you an example. We've talked about this before in our apologetic studies. Okay, people mock the Scripture. Say, oh, you can't trust the Scripture, right? You can't trust the Bible, right? Okay, well, listen to this. Uh, we've talked before. Aristotle, the writings of Aristotle, uh, we have 49 copies in existence. That's it, 49. Now, the problem is even those 49 that we have is 1,400 years removed from the original. Not 14 days, not 14 years. 1,400, 1, yeah, 1,400. Okay, whoa, that's a pretty big, whoa, wow. Oh, it's even more, Plato, right? That's my son's favorite philosopher, by the way. Wrong Plato, nice try. Uh, uh, Plato, seven copies, that's it. We only got seven copies on the whole planet of his writings. Seven, and they're 1,200 years removed from the original. Now, of the Bible, we got 24,000 plus copies, and they're finding more all the time, and they're 25 years removed from the original. So here you have Aristotle and Plato. They're 1,400 years removed from the original, 1,200 years removed from the original. One of them, we only have seven in existence. Here we got copies of the New Testament, 24,000, 25,000. You got them within the lifetime of the actual author, and you're going to scoff at that. People don't even think to question Aristotle or Plato, but you question the Bible? That doesn't make sense. In fact, uh, remember what the, the, we saw last week with the Dead Sea Scrolls, the Old Testament issue? In that same area, recently, this is just the last few years, uh, they have actually founded uh, copies of the New Testament books in the same place where they found the Dead Sea Scrolls, in that same community. Now listen to this. It gets even better than 25 years. Listen to this. It, okay, if you take the dates that people estimate for the New Testament manuscripts based on what they just found, we now have portions of the Gospel of Mark within 13 years of the actual time of writing. We got uh, uh, portions of the Book of Romans within 11 years, James within 8 years, Acts within 5 years, 1 Timothy within 5 years, and portions of 2 Peter the exact same year it was estimated to be written. And yet you're going to mock the Bible and scoff at it. Excuse me? It just doesn't make sense, Okay. And that's why one guy says, no book from the ancient world comes to us with more abundant evidence for its integrity than does the New Testament. The authenticity and general integrity of the books of the New Testament may be regarded as finally established. In other words, it's done. And for anybody, when you deal with the facts, especially when you look at other historical documents put to the test, it's the most ridiculous statement for anybody to parrot, and that's really where it's coming from, the media is telling you to think this about the Bible, when frankly, most people haven't even picked up the Bible, and then somehow you're supposed to be an expert on it, but it's one of the most ridiculous statements for people to say that the Bible is not trustworthy. It's the most verified document in the history of mankind, unlike that. But isn't that just like the enemy? If this book really came from God, then what book am I going to spend all the time poking doubt 
in it, for in the minds of people. And then at the same time, I'm going to try to seduce people away from it into all these other multitude of supposed sources. It's exactly what he would do. And that's what's being done uh, today. All right, let's continue on. The second test, though, is called the internal or eyewitness test. And that considers the credibility of the authors and the truthfulness of what was written. Okay, number three, the external test. And this considers the historical events, the geography, the archaeology, and the cultural consistencies. Remember we saw the archaeology? Once again, I've got to point it out because it's very important. How much archaeological evidence do we find in the Book of Mormon? Zero. Nothing. Absolutely nothing. And especially on that hill of Cumorah, right, where it's supposed to be these golden plates, okay, uh, uh, there were some battles, major battles, right? Uh, up to the, I mean, thousands and thousands and thousands of people. These are supposed to be big, giant battles. How many human bones do we find? How many weapons do we find? How many coinage? How many clothing? Come on. Even still to this day, even watch the History Channel. They'll even have, how many times have they gone over uh, the Civil War battlefields? How many times? But you can still go out there today and what are people still find them? Artifacts, still to this day. Zilch. And these battles, if I have them right, contained a lot more people. Nothing. Okay, but, but uh, anyway, so these are the tests. External tests, does it line up with geography, archaeology, cultural consistency? They also didn't just willy-nilly do this. They sat around, if you will, and they asked logical good questions. They didn't accept anything. They would uh, uh, ask, is the author of the book an apostle? Why is that important? Because they're right next to who? Jesus, which we get the New Testament, the New, new Covenant. Does it agree with the rest of the scripture? Why is that true? Why is that important? Because God doesn't lie. And if it's really going to be from God, then it can't contradict God. Because God doesn't lie, he doesn't contradict himself. Right? So it's got to be consistent. Was it accepted by the early church? Why is that important? Because if it wasn't accepted by the early church, who was there at the very beginning, then it probably was not circulated and accepted by them for very good reason. Right? So was it accepted, was it circulated? Was it quoted by the early church? Well, why is that important? Well, because then if they were quoted, they would believe it's the word of God. Right? So that did. In fact, another interesting, it's uh, Sir Richard Dalrymple. He can, uh, got all together the early church fathers, the letters. He said that he was able to reconstruct the whole New Testament just by the quotations taken from it, from the early church fathers. He did the whole New Testament except for 11 verses. Just from the quotations taken from it. So even if we lost even all the copies, just the quotations, we can reconstruct it. From, it's just amazing, okay? And, of course, did it come with the power of God. There's something about reading the Bible, okay? The real Bible, the one and only Bible, okay? That just comes, just smacks you right in the eyes, right? And it's just, wow, just comes with the power of God. You don't get that when man whoops it up, okay? And so these are the filters. It wasn't willy-nilly. Now, let's continue on. The Bible's written, as we saw last time, over 1,500 years by 40 different authors, three different languages, Hebrew, Aramaic, and Greek, and yet there are no, zero, zilcho, no contradictions. Is your next blank there? Contradictions. No contradictions. Okay? Now, uh, when you have a book that is supposed to be the Word of God and it has uh, contradictions, what's that a sign of? Man wrote it. Man wrote it. <laughs> Why is there so many contradictions? Because this is not from God. Man wrote the thing, okay, the Book of Mormon, right? Now, one of the most significant evidences for the divine origin of the Bible is what? Prophecy. Oh, don't make me learn prophecy. Don't teach prophecy. Are you, you're one of those wacko conspiracies there. That's the last thing you need to do, pastors, preach on prophecy. Well, for, first of all, Revelation 1, what's it say? Blessed are those who read, who hear, who take to heart the what? The words of this book, the prophecy. So God says, I'll triply bless your socks off if all of his word's good, but if you study prophecy, oh, you're blessed. Now, we're certainly blessed because it's a revelation, apocalypsis, an unveiling of who? Jesus Christ. Don't you want to know more about Jesus? Don't you want to be reminded every day that we win? Don't you want to be reminded every day that he's coming back? Don't you want to be reminded every single day that, woohoo, this whole old earth and all its evils are gone forevermore, and we get to be part of the millennial kingdom, the new heaven, the new earth? Woo! Who wouldn't want to hear that? Also, though, and uh, I would say this is another thing, why are these people who are professing to be Christians, half of the church saying, I don't know if I can trust this book. Why? Because they're not being taught prophecy. Prophecy, which, by the way, makes up about a third of the Bible. So that's a whole other thing. With all due respect uh, to your pastor, I'm, I are one, so I think I can say this, right? 
How can you sit there and say you're being a faithful shepherd if you deliberately keep one-third of the Bible away from your congregation on purpose? Would, how would you guys, and what would you do if I made an announcement this Sunday? Hey, guys, love you. You know I love you. Is your pastor? I love you guys. And I love you too, Larry. <laughs> you, but you know what I'm going to do? I made a decision what I'm going to do. And it's for your own good. There's one-third of this Bible that I'm just going to start ripping out the pages because it's just stuff you don't need to hear. It's just all doom and gloom. I'm just going to take it out right now. And if I really did that, and I really was going to do that, what should you do? No, don't walk out. Kick me out. Then why is it acceptable for people to say, I deliberately on purpose from the pulpit will refuse to equip you with one-third of the Bible? That's not acceptable today. Now, again, here's the side effect. When you preach prophecy, and this is where we're going with this, prophecy demonstrates the authenticity of the Bible. Because prophecy demonstrates this had to come from God. Because prophecy demonstrates that only God logically can know the future. That's the importance of prophecy. Old Testament, New Testament, that's why one-third of the Bible is made up of prophecy. Because God's saying in the Old Testament, New Testament, I wrote the book. I did what man cannot do. I predicted the future. Remember when Joseph Smith tried to predict the future? How much did he get right? Zero. So God says, I'm going, and listen to how many there are. Listen, there's 2,500 prophecies. Not 25, not 2.5, not 250. Add another zero. 2,500 prophecies. So what's God saying? 2,500 times. I wrote the book. You can't say this came from man because I predicted I did logically what only a supreme being who's above and beyond time, who sees the beginning from the end can do. I'm going to predict it in great detail before it ever happens. Not just vague details we saw before that the psychics do. Tom, you're going, you just told me as you came into my office that you're going downtown Las Vegas this weekend on a holiday weekend with lots of people. You're going to see somebody you've never seen before. Give me a break. That's so vague. It's so crazy. And that's what they do. You just fill in the blank. God, when he predicts something, it ain't anything like that. I mean, he's specific. And he nails it every single time. So is it any wonder when you're not taught this, you, ne- you start to doubt that? You're never taught. It isn't just about what's the future going to be like. It proves that God wrote the book. Prophecy. And I really think that's a part in a parcel of why much of the church today is doubting the Bible, because they're never taught prophecy, okay? 2,000 of those have already been fulfilled, okay? And I want to give you uh, some evidence of that. Open your Bibles to Isaiah 42. God tells us, even in the Bible, uh, that uh, he alone has this special ability to predict the future. Of Isaiah 42, verses 8 through 9. <clears throat> When you get there, say moo. I got two moos anymore. Moo. That's a very confident moo. I like that. Uh, Isaiah 42, 8 and 9 says this. I am the Lord. That is my name. I will not give my glory to another. What? You mean there's only one God? I will not give my glory to another or my praise to idols. See the what? The former things have taken place and new things I declare. Okay. Uh, before they sprang into being, who? I, God, announces them to you, right? So when the importance of this scripture, God says, listen, I'm going to demonstrate that I wrote this book. I'm going to demonstrate that this came from me. Before things come to pass, even in your own lifetime, or wait a few generations or whatever, I'm, and then you could look back in hindsight and go, well, how did he know that 200 years ago or 2,000 years ago or whatever? I'm going to nail it down. I'm going to show you 2,500 times in this book, if you study prophecy, that this came from me. No excuse for you to be a doubting Thomas, right? But let's take a look at that. Now, first of all, uh, people say, well, people do that all the time. I mean, that's what Joseph Smith did. He's got a new revelation, right? He's predicting. No, what's his track record? Zero. And then you examine the so-called writings. They're full of contradictions, lies, which God doesn't do okay he's making it up uh but then they'll say well there's those people out there called psychics psychics do the same thing right well first of all what's god saying deuteronomy 18 we've read it many times before i'm not gonna have you turn there again okay deuteronomy 18 what's he say when you what are you supposed to do stay away from what spiritist uh 
mediums, things of that nature. Why? Because it's demonic. They're, it's a lie. You don't listen to a demon. Listen to God. Stay away from these people. Anybody that says they got a word of God outside the word of God, what do you do? Don't listen to them. Right? So that's number one. Number two, uh, as we saw with much of their psychic ability, is a bunch of chicanery. We've talked about this before. I'm not going to go too deep into it, right? You come in and say, hey, thanks for coming, buddy. And just I can tell that uh, you're a guy who's just kind of casual, right? It's casual. You enjoy life and you know what I'm saying? And, uh, you know, you probably, you know, do some work, you know, and using your body and stuff like that. Now, how, you know, it's, uh, whoa, he's a prophet. Whoa. No, I can just tell by dress. You pay attention to how people dress. You pay to how they sit. You pay attention to their mannerisms. And I can tell that uh, you must be, you're married, aren't you? <laughs> how did he know? The ring. Yeah. Right? And that's what's called a cold ring. We've been through this before. Give me a break. <laughs> Right? So a lot of it's chicanery. God says stay away from a chicanery. But you look at their track record, and it's crazy. I want to share with you a couple of uh, track records. Uh, <clears throat> this is just one year alone. These are all the things that the psychics got wrong. Major mega news events. If you're so true, you know the future. Come on. You missed all this. Uh, first of all, they missed Hurricane Sandy. Dramatic pause. Let's move on. Hurricane Sandy, right? Didn't even mention that. Largest earthquakes in that year, 8.2, 8.6. Indonesia, uh, didn't even mention it all. Uh, largest death toll from an earthquake in Iran and then in Guatemala and Mexico, missed that. Uh, Palestinian bid to become a UN non-member observer state, missed that. The escalating crisis in Syria, you got that wrong. Julian Assange being given asylum in Ecuador but being trapped in the UK, totally missed that. The riot fallout in Russia, you didn't mention that. Facebook stock market debacle, you didn't mention that. The Aurora, Colorado theater shooting, the Newton, uh, Connecticut shooting, the worst U.S. shootings in school decades, you missed that completely. You missed the death, you're supposed to be able to trick, uh, predict the future, you missed the death of every single one of these people, Whitney Houston, Gore Vidal, Ravi Shankar, Phyllis Diller, Dick Clark, Ernest Borgnine, Andy Griffith, uh, Neil Armstrong, Sally Ride, Patrick Moore, Ray Bradbury, uh, General Norman Schwarzkopf, and Rodney King. You got none of those. Not even just one? Could you? Anyway, uh, it keeps going. Then you also missed the, uh, any scores, any medals, and any rankings in the Olympics in 2012. This is the year here. You got nothing. Not one. And like what? And this is true. And they missed, quote, the most important event of the year, the end of an era, Twinkies went bankrupt. Come on. You could have at least got that one. That's important. Give me a break. Aren't Twinkies made in Canada? Didn't they work in Canada? Okay. Uh, but anyway. Uh, and yet, in spite of this, people still listen to it because they want to know the future. But the irony is this. The enemy's got them so duped. Oh, you can't trust this book. You can't trust this book. When 2,500 times God says, it's for me, it's for me, it's for me. I'm demonstrating it to you. And yet, you'll go elsewhere. Whether it's these psychics, you'll go, oh, maybe he's got a new revelation. Just stick with the, what, what are you doing? And by the way, just like with all due respect, just like with Mormons, you're getting ripped off. Remember how much the Mormons, this lie, the Mormons, you remember how much they're making? $22 million a day. They're making $22 million a day off of people. They concocted this up. Okay, and they're protecting it. I'll get to that. Hopefully in a second. But listen to this. Uh, people spend over $300 million annually every year just on calls to psychic hotlines. That's not the whole behavior. That's just the calls. $300 million. A third of a trillion. It's crazy. Okay? Uh, and then they even, listen to these statistics. It's actually a little concerning. Ladies, sorry, but it ain't looking good for you. The approximate annual earnings of men who have consulted a psychic is between 40000 and 95000 years. Or $95,000 a year. Uh, women who consulted psychic is 20000 to 100000 So it's a much bigger spread. The, uh, how much money women are willing to spend on a psychic? Up to 5000 Men, only up to two. Uh, men, uh, <laughs> men who ask their psychic to put a curse on somebody? 3%. Ladies, 51 <laughs> Be nice to your woman. Whoa, can you believe that? Whoa, I tell you what, men who uh, admit contact the psychic, 39. Ladies who admit, 69, you're much more open about it. Men who recommend consulting the psychic, 28. Ladies, you recommend 69, okay? This was kind of interesting. Percentage of women who would consult a psychic on sentimental matters, a relationship or, you know, a loved one or something, you know. Uh, uh, sentimental matters, 85%. Men who consult a psychic on sentimental matters, 11%. 
We ain't got no emotions. You know what I'm saying? Anyways, uh, women who consult a psychic more than once, 53%. So there's a lot of big repeats. Guys, 11%. Uh, women who spent more than $5,000 on a psychic in one year, 375000 Guys, only 5000 Major difference, okay? Uh, approximate number of women who spent more than $10,000 a year, 275000 Men, 300. Wow. Okay? And you know what a lot of it is, ladies, with all due respect? They play on your emotions. You're more emotional creatures in general, which is not necessarily a bad thing. Can't get out of control. That's why God counters the other side of the peanut butter jelly sandwich to the guy with no emotions. You put them together, and it kind of works out, hopefully. That's what it's supposed to do. Right? So God knows what he's doing. But also in your emotional makeup, as we saw before in the Mother's Day message, that's needed for the nurturing care. These guys abuse that, and they rip you off, right? Now, what's wild is the average earning of a successful psychic or medium in the United States, $5 million. $5 million. Well, keep it up. You might get up here with these guys. $22 million a day. Because what, what you might, well, that's kind of a harsh, no, it's not a harsh comparison. What does psychics say? We got a new revelation. We can predict the future. What do these guys say? We have a new revelation. We're made up of a group of prophets, even beyond Joseph Smith. He can predict the future. They can predict the future. $22 million a day. They're ripping people off just like uh, psychics, okay? Uh, anyway, so God said not to do that. Now, very quickly, God, what's God do? Let's take a look at his track record, okay? Uh, first of all, he uh, just a couple examples. We've got to move on. Again, I'm going to say he got 2,500 of these things. And when he does it, it's not vague. And it's 100% correct every single time. He predicts the rise and fall of nations. Daniel chapter 2, he predicts the rise of four totally different uh, nations. First, there was Babylon, the Medo Persian Empire, the Grecian Empire, the Roman Empire. Okay? Uh, he also predicts not only the rise of nations, he predicts their downfall. Uh, we see in the book of Nahum, he uh, predicted that Nineveh would be permanently destroyed, destroyed by fire, would be easily captured, their army officers would desert, they'd be drunk in their final hours. Now, that's pretty specific. And here's exactly what happened. Just like Nahum said, archaeologists have now, they've not only discovered Nineveh, but they have uncovered a layer of ash in its ruins, showing it was destroyed by fire. An ancient Babylonian record reveals that Nineveh was easily overtaken and that their officers fled the scene. A Greek historian records that the king gave much wine to his soldiers that night, which caused them to be drunk. It's exactly what God says. I mean, down to the T. It's not something vague. Tom, you're going to meet somebody new in downtown Vegas. This is serious specific. Book of Isaiah talked about uh, Babylon would be overthrown by the Medes. The gates would be open for a guy named Cyrus, would be reduced to swampland. Guess what happened? Exactly that. Uh, we know that uh, the Medes joined up with the Persians, conquered Babylon, in spite of their incredible defenses. I did a, a term paper on this in Bible college. Babylon's uh, uh, outer wall was so huge, they used to have, it was so big, so tall, so wide. On the top of the wall, they used to have chariot races. Nobody was getting through Babylon. Well, and God says, oh, they're coming down. Well, and that's what happened. Uh, despite their uh, defenses, history records a guy named Cyrus diverted the flow of the Euphrates River, marched into the city in the, under the riverbed there. Archaeological excavations reveal that parts of Babylon today cannot be dug up because it's underwater, making it swamp-like. Ezekiel and Amos predicted the city of Tyre would be attacked by many nations. Its fortresses would fail. Their stones, timber, and soil would be thrown into the sea, and the remains of the city would be used to spread fishing nets. Guess what happened? You had several different nations that were uh, destroyed, but uh, uh, it took until Alexander the Great. And what happened is the people we talked before, they would retreat to the island fortress out in the bay, okay? And they'd go, can't get us. So he dismantled the city of Tyre, everything, all the structures, the houses, you name it. And he threw them and kept throwing them into the ocean, made a land bridge out to those people and conquered them out there. How many guys would say that when they got about three-fourths of the way out there, they stopped going, <laughs> right but he wiped the city completely clean because the city all the city went into the ocean to make the land bridge you know what they use that area for the original city today it's flat barren like a rock that's the perfect place to do their fishing nets this is exactly what god says over and over again the rise of nations the fall of nations and again 2500 of them i don't have time to get into all the prophecies concerning uh, the coming of jesus right who fulfilled over 300 prophecies 
right? They'd be born of a virgin, a seed of Abraham, on and on it goes, right? That his hands would be pierced and things of that nature. Psalm 22, before it was even invented, uh, perfected by the Romans, crucifixion. I mean, give me a break, over and over again. And the odds I've shared before, the odds of eight events coming true in one entity, just eight, okay, is the same odds that if you were to take the whole state of Texas, cover the, the whole state three feet deep with silver dollars, you, would, you take one silver dollar, you hop in a plane, you fly over the state of Texas randomly, you mark a red X on that silver dollar, throw it out of the airplane randomly, let it hit the ground, land the plane at the edge of the state of Texas, grab a guy, blindfold him, and say, okay, you have to go all over blindfolded the state of Texas, three feet deep through silver dollars. You got one pick and one pick only, and you have to pick the red X, silver dollar. What's the odds that that guy would ever get it? That's the exact same mathematical odds of only eight prophecies coming true in one entity. Jesus fulfilled over 300. No wonder people, I don't know, I don't know, because they never teach on prophecy. Prophecy drills in your head. Are you kidding me? Yes, praise God, Jesus is coming back. Yes, praise God, nobody has a brighter future than us. But man, I'm encouraged 2,500 times. This came from God. You see what they're missing out on? All just simply from teaching on prophecy. But that's the uh, first coming. Uh, the Bible also talks about there's about 300 prophecies that Jesus will be fulfilling uh, in his second coming. In fact, even gives us signs. We don't know the date nor the hour. I don't care how nifty you are with the calculator or the constellations. All right, you don't know. Okay? But there's, uh, let me just give you 30, and I don't know about you, but I, these are so far off. How do you know it's getting close? Right? Well, here's what you're going to see. Israel will return to the land. They become a nation again. They become a united nation again uh, in one day. Uh, and they would become a powerful military. Their currency would go back to be the shekel. That happened in 1980. They've blossomed as a rose in the desert. They used to be they're now the breadbasket Middle East. They become a source of world conflict. This is funny. How do you know that it's getting close? I don't know the day nor the hour, but how do you know it's getting close? Turn on your TV. Where was the president? What's on the news every single night? Little, bitty, teeny, tiny Israel is a source of conflict in the whole world. That's Bible prophecy. Uh, they'd rebuild the temple. They want to do that right now. There'd be increase of travel, increase of knowledge, increase of unrest. Earthquakes, famines, pestilence, wars, strange events in the sky, global catastrophes, false Christ, false teachers, increase of wickedness. The church would go into apostasy. How many times have I said that before, right? Many people were all saying, oh, yeah, look at the earthquakes. They're on the rise. Oh, yeah, wars, rumors of wars. It's like, hey, don't just look on the outside of these walls. You want to know you're in the last days? The Bible says, look inside. Look in your own camp. And Paul says to Timothy, how do you know you're living the last days? Get this. You're going to see this. He wrote this 2,000 years ago. It must have blew his mind. Can you imagine? This is going to happen, man. This, I mean, you're on the, you don't know the day nor the hour, but man, it's getting close when you see this. When you go to church services, okay, and all you get from the pulpit is fluffy stuff and stories made up. And you go, what are you talking about? No, that's what the Bible says. He says, in the last days, Paul said to Timothy, he says, in the last days, the church will gather around themselves teachers who will tickle their ears, kinetho in the Greek, which means only pleasant things. And he says, they're going to turn aside from the truth, and they're only going to listen to muthos, myths, or stories made up. So stir it all together. Paul says, in the last days, this is going to happen in the church. Not just out in the world, the wickedness and the wars and the earthquakes and famines and pestilence. In the church, all you're ever going to get in the last days is pleasant things and stories made up. It's a good thing we see no signs of that. Dude, that, that's everywhere. I was just, I had two phone calls today, uh, both in Canada, okay, and same thing. Uh, it's the same thing. And it ain't just Canada, it's everywhere. It's in Europe. We get uh, contact from Australia. We get South America, all over Europe, here in the United States, in the West, everywhere. It's the same story. I can't find a healthy church. I can't find somebody uh, to preach the Bible. I can't find, all I get is this stuff. And then now I'm the weird guy because I just asked, could you teach me this part? Can you put in the other third? Can you, and it's not even, even the other two thirds. You only get, you don't even get that. It's just, hey, learn to be a better you. How to be financially successful. Let's build up your self-esteem. Really? My Bible says uh, you need to esteem others better than yourself. And you're to deny yourself, pick up your cross, and follow Christ every day. Oops. 
But that's what's going on. This is a sign that we're living in the last days. There'll be a push for a one-world religion. There would be uh, persecution across the whole planet, uh, specifically God's people. Antichrist, false prophet, prophet figures would start to arise. There'll be a push for a one-world government, a big brother society, a one-world economy. Somebody would have the technology to control the buying and selling on the whole planet, and they would combine it with some sort of market to be system on people's right hands and forehead. These are all indicators from God. I'm not going to tell you the day nor the hour because you'll probably goof off. But I'm going to tell you when it's getting close. Close for what? If you love him, aren't you longing? Don't you, aren't you, can't you wait to see him? I don't know about you. Are you kidding me? And this is all this is. It's news that, hey, Jesus is coming back. Woo-hoo! Why would you run from that? I want to see him. I want to hopefully give him a hug. I want to say thank you. I want to have something hopefully lay at his feet. I, I want to be a part of the new kingdom. I can't wait for that. I want, to be, I want to see the new heavens and the new earth. I want to be a part of that. Why wouldn't you want to hear all these news that are saying, I'm not going to tell you the day in the hour, but it's getting close. This is like way better than Christmas. This is like, with all due respect, way better than wedding, although my marriage is strong. Don't misconstrue this. <laughs> a healthy scenario in a marriage, right? You would think, you would think the closer you get, it gets more exciting, even though it's stressful. And it could get stressful before Jesus comes back. I get that. But still, it's like, yes. Well, that's all this is telling us. You don't know the day nor the hour, but man, it's getting close. But God tells us these things in advance to tell us this book came from him. Period. 2,500. How many times you guys grow up, your mom told you something more than once? More than 10 times. In fact, how many times did she fill in the blank for you? I told you a million times, right? And you're going, well, she probably did because, man, here we go again, right? <laughs> God told us 2,500 times this book came from me. Why do you listen to anything else? What more do I got to do? But again, with all due respect to the so-called shepherds, you keep it out. No wonder your congregation has doubts. Has doubts. All right? If we'd only listen to the Bible, it'd save us from a whole lot of trouble, mainly being left behind if you're not saved. Okay, but also getting ripped off. Because that's what these psychics do. They rip people off, and that's what these guys do. $22 million a day. Let's continue on. One of the most significant examples, evidence, of course, Bible prophecy. It's statistically impossible for the Bible's detailed prophecies to have been fulfilled through chance, guessing, or intent. When man guesses at something, and he puts all his guesses compiled into a book, and he throws Christianese on it, you know what you get? The Book of Mormon. But the Bible, mm mm-mm verified through and through concerning written revelation from god of the bible the scriptures explicitly themselves warn against adding and here's another thing if you just read the bible it says now not only stick to the bible but don't say you have another word this is it don't add don't take away don't and he says it repeatedly that's your word there against adding or taking away from what god has given here's a couple examples you shall not add to the word which i'm commanding to you nor take away from it that you may keep the commandments of the Lord your God, which I command you, Deuteronomy 4, 2. Whatever I command you, you shall be careful to do. You shall not add nor take away from it. What do these guys do with all due respect? You add to it, and frankly, as we'll see hopefully in a second, you take away, you chop, you splice, you violate what God says. Okay? Continue on. Every word of God is what? It's tested. He is a shield to those who take refuge from him. You know what? Guess what? You stick to God's Bible. It's a shield. It's protected from what? From the lies, from the deceit out there that can not only lead you astray and cause hurt and harm, but it'll keep you from getting ripped off. It's a shield, right? Do not add to his words or he will what? Reprove you and you will be proved a liar. Bingo, exactly like Joseph Smith, with all due respect. I testify to everyone who hears the words of this prophet of this book, if anyone adds to them, God will add to him the plagues which are written in this book. If anyone takes away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God will take away his part from the tree of life, from the holy city that are written in this book. God is very plain. Don't add, don't take away, leave it alone. I put my stamp of approval on it 2,500 times. Isn't that good enough? Why do we have to keep going somewhere else? Some of the theories, some of the things, some of the prophets, some of the... Just get in the Bible. Enjoy it. should be a relief. Now, believe it or not, as we close, there were some people in Joseph Smith's 
time who were brave enough to speak up that he was, in fact, a liar and a false prophet and that he's veering off of God's word. And I want to share those with you. Remember, it says here, the, number two, the internal test, the eyewitness test. So let's take a look at some eyewitness tests of people who lived, worked with, were neighbors with Joseph Smith. Did he pass the test? Is he reliable? Is he trustworthy? Is he infallible like the word of God? I don't think so. And let me just give you a couple. Now, this is concerning Joseph Smith and his family. Okay. Now, real quickly, just uh, uh, people in general. I'm going to give you a couple testimonies here in a second. But people in general, here's this uh, summation. A guy named Peter Ingersoll said Joseph Smith was all about money digging. It's all about money. Right? Uh, William Stafford was about money digging and buried treasure. William Chase, it was all about money. Uh, Parley Chase, it was all about money, and he was a liar. David Stafford, it was about money digging. Uh, he was a liar and a drunkard. Barton Stafford, he was a drunkard. Henry uh, Harris, Joseph Smith, was a money digger, and he was a liar. Roswell Nichols, he was a liar, and it was all about buried treasure. Joseph Stafford, buried treasure. Joseph Caprone, he was all about money. Uh, he was a liar and seeking buried treasure. 62 different people, it was about money digging and buried treasure. And another guy named Isaac Hale, uh, it was about money digging and buried treasure. So the eyewitnesses around him saying, this guy, with all due respect, who contemporaries with him, excuse me, we know this guy. He's in our community. He was our neighbor. We work with him. We know him. We know his family. We were there on record. These people said he was a liar. All he wanted was money. It was about buried treasure. Can't trust this guy. Remember, we, we put the Bible through the eyewitness test. Shouldn't we be? You're saying you got a word from God. It's news. But you even say it's better than what we got. So shouldn't we put you to the eyewitness test? Let me read to you just a couple, and then we'll close. This is the testimony of Barton Stafford. This is from Manchester, New York, in Ontario County. I looked it up on the map. It's a 16-minute drive in a car from Palmyra, which is where the hill, Camorra, the golden place, the whole thing. So this is right there. Oh, by the way, I think he lived on a farm that was outside of this place, so it's even probably closer. So this is the guy who lived right there. Here's what he says. Being called upon to give a statement or the character of the family of Joseph Smith Sr., as far as I know, I can state that I had became acquainted with them in 1820, and I knew them till 1831. Remember the Book of Mormon, 1830, right? When they left this neighborhood, Smith Sr. was a noted drunkard, and most of his family followed his example, especially, guess who? Joseph Smith Jr., uh, who was very much addicted to uh, alcohol, he says, in temperance. In short, not one of the family had the least claims of respectability, even since he professed to be the inspired, inspired of the Lord to translate the Book of Mormon, one day while at work in my father's field, this guy was here, he saw it, okay, he got quite drunk uh, on a composition of cider, molasses, and water. Finding his legs to refuse their office, he couldn't walk anymore, he leaned upon the fence and hung for some time. At length, re recovering again, he fell to scuffling with one of the workmen who tore his shirt nearly off of him. His wife, was who, who was at our house, Joseph Smith's wife, who was at our house on a visit, appeared very much grieved at his conduct, and to protect his back from the rays of the sun and conceal his nakedness, threw her shawl over his soul, shoulders, and in that plight escorted the prophet home. As an evidence of his piety and devotion, when intoxicated, he frequently made his religion the topic of conversation. These are people who live with the guy. So we, every, all the skeptics, oh, you can't trust the Bible. And you have, to, you have to, okay, let's do the eyewitness test. We're just doing the same thing. Another one, Henry Harris. He talks about the, the whole family. He says, they were a family that labored very little. The chief they did was to dig for money. Remember what money digging was? That was the witchcraft technique that you went through the seer hat with a special rock and you put it in a hat and you're looking for these spirits who are guarding this treasure. So it was a money-making adventure, right? He says that they didn't want to work and it was about digging for money. Joseph Smith Jr., the pretended prophet, used to pretend to tell fortunes. And he had a stone which he used to put in his hat by means of which he professed to tell people's fortunes. Hey, that's starting to sound like the psychics. And what are the psychics doing this for? And what's it all about today? Very interesting. Uh, Joseph Smith, uh, Martin Harris, and others used to meet in private a while before the gold plates were found and were familiar, uh, known as the, by the name of the Gold Bible Company. Pay attention to that. Because in the original, they were going to start a company, a money-making company called the Gold Bible. They were going to create a gold Bible, a new Bible, and sell it for profit. 
They were making a, it was a money-making venture, right? They were regarded by the community in which they lived as a as the community considered them the whole family as lying and indolent, which means lazy people who avoid work, set of men, and no confidence could be placed in them. After the book was published, I frequently bantered him for a copy. He asked 14 shillings apiece for them. So he's making cash off this thing he whooped up. I told him I would not give him so much. He told me, listen, he had a revelation that they must be sold at that price. Right? This is that date. But listen, he says, sometimes afterwards, I talked to Martin Harris, the cohort smith, about buying one of the books, and he told me they had a new revelation that they might be sold at 10 shillings apiece. Yeah, I guess profits weren't, the books weren't flying off the shelf, so to speak. Okay? And again, that was in uh, Cuyahoga County, which is 38 minutes from Kirtland, Ohio, which is where Joseph Smith was before he eventually fled from there too. Now, listen to this one. I'll close after this. Abigail Harris. Right? She said, early in the part of the winter, 1828, okay, uh, I was joined in company by Joseph Smith uh, and his wife. The gold Bible business, so-called, was the topic of conversation, to which I had particular attention that I might learn the truth of the whole matter. They told me that the report that Joseph Jr. had found golden plates was true and that he was in Pennsylvania translating them. Okay, And this is a report from 18. Uh, uh, 33, uh, she recounts this story. She said, they said that the plates then had in possession, listen to this, were but an introduction to the gold Bible. Listen, remember last week when he supposedly ran for three miles? Three miles, right? And he, but he was a cripple, right? He got, had a leg inj- injury, right? So th- and people trace him trying to get these gold. Listen, this is her account that she said that the plates were, quote, so heavy that it would take four stout men to load them in a cart. This is a historical eyewitness testimony on his, his historical record. Either way, you lied again. You lied again. There's no way. Okay, that after the book was translated, the plates were be to, to be publicly exhibited with an admittance of five cents. It's a money-making venture. They sat around. With all due respect, this family did not want to work. As the, the, the people in the community said, they're a bunch of lazy people who didn't want to do the work. So what they do? We don't want to work, so we're going to invent something to make money, a quick buck. That's what it is. All right? She calculated it would bring in, a, in annually an enormous sum of money, and that money would be uh, very plenty. And the book itself would also sell for a great price, which was something entirely new. Uh, this uh, next morning, they took me into another room after closing the door and said, have you four or five dollars in money that you could lend until our business is brought to a close? So this whole thing was a money-making adventure. They're not there yet, but that's their plans. We're going to concoct this story, this whole thing. We're going to charge admittance to see this thing, and we're going to charge for this new book that we're open, and it's supposed to be a better Bible, the Gold Bible, the Gold Bible business or company, right? But we're not there yet. Can you lend us a few bucks, right? Anybody smell a scam? (laughs) This is the... and, And listen to what she said. In the second month following, Martin Harris and his wife were at my house. Listen, Martin Harris, these are the the guys who give a testimony. In conversation about the Mormonites, she observed that she wished, this is Martin Harris's wife, she wished her husband would quit them as she believed it was all false and a delusion. To which I heard Mr. Harris reply, quote, what if it is a lie? If you will let me alone, I will make money out of it and that's what they're doing today 22 million dollars a day that's the historical record now again these guys are supposed to have a new revelation a new word from god okay but as we close i gave you a little teaser last week i'm gonna share with you a video clip that shows joseph smith after the book of mormon he decided as a so-called prophet with a new revelation he was going to fix the bible for us okay so surely, his version of the Bible, the Mormons would use today, wouldn't they? Well, here's another point of hypocrisy. Let's take a look at this real quick. Just after the publication of the Book of Mormon in 1830, Joseph Smith received a revelation that he was to make a new translation of the Bible, which was corrupted. This was not a literal translation from ancient texts, but a revelatory process, parts of which Smith revised several times. He made thousands of changes, additions, and deletions, including completely removing the Song of Solomon. Some of the passages that he added suffered from the same kind of anachronisms found in the Book of Mormon. 
including quoting from the New Testament over a thousand years before it had been written. But the most important changes he made were to make the Bible explicitly teach unique Mormon doctrines about baptism, the afterlife, and the priesthood, among others. He rewrote verses that originally said that no man can see God because he had claimed to have seen God. He even inserted a prophecy about himself into the book of Genesis. And yet, with the exception of two excerpts, the book of Moses and Matthew published in the Pearl of Great Price, the Joseph Smith translation is not official church canon. Instead, they use the King James Version, which, according to their Articles of Faith, is not translated correctly. And although the church has prophets, seers, and revelators, they have yet to correct the Bible. That's just wrong all the way around. Where do you even start? So he, here's the deal. You, you say he's a prophet. He came up with this Book of Mormon. You got these Doctrine and Covenants. This is your authority, Pearl of Great Price. And he's the true prophet. His is better than what we got. He goes and he, of his own doing, so-called fixes by the revelatory process what we have. You refuse to use it. Why? Well, like with everything else, when you start to like, take a look at it, how accurate is it? It's not. So keep that. And you admittedly, on the one hand, say, oh, we will only use the King James Bible, but you know, only where it's correctly translated. It gets full of errors. So on the one hand, you say he's a prophet, okay, and he's got a sure word, but then you admittedly choose a book to use that you say is full of contradictions. You can't win either way. And then you still got prophets today, so how come you're not fixing it for us? Shh, you're not supposed to ask that. We got a good thing going here. Don't mess it up. With all due respect, $22 million a day, just like psychics, people are getting ripped off. Okay? As we close, you contrast this to the Bible. Listen to this. No other book, the Bible, has been so chopped, knifed, sifted, scrutinized, and vilified. What book on philosophy or religion or psychology has been subject to such mass attack as the Bible with such venom and skepticism upon every chapter, every line, and every tenet. Yet the Bible is still loved by millions, read by millions, and studied by millions. Infidels for 1,800 years have been refuting and overthrowing this book, and yet it still stands today solid as a rock. Its circulation increases more and more. It's even more loved and cherished and read than ever before. If the book had not been the book of God, men would have destroyed it long ago. Emperors and popes and kings and priests, princes and rulers have all tried their hand at it. They all die, yet the Bible still lives. Why? Because it's from God. It's the most verified book in the history of mankind. You put it to the test, you whack on it, just with, if you think I'm being unfair, this is very kind compared to what people have done repeatedly through history with the Bible. The Bible still stands the test. I could go even deeper, but we're already into this many weeks. Come on. And this is supposed to be better than what we got? No way. No way. Lord willing, next time we're going to get into, that was the authority. Then we're going to get, they're off. Again, we're following the five classic signs. How do you know somebody's in a cult? You get the authority uh, wrong. Okay, you get the nature of God wrong, which is where we're going to be next. The person and work of Jesus Christ, the nature of man, and the means of salvation is all wrong. Why is it wrong? Because your source of authority is wrong. We'll get into that, Lord willing, next time. Let's pray. Well, hi, this is Pastor Billy Crone of Sunrise Baptist Church and Get a Life Ministries. And I hope you enjoyed today's study. But in closing, before you go, let me ask you one final question. If you were to die today, are you sure that you go to heaven and not hell? You see, here's the problem. The Bible says that nobody automatically gets to go to heaven. And that's because God is holy and we are not. The Bible says that the wages of our sin or our unholiness or the wrong things that we have done have separated us from God. And the wages of our sin or unholiness uh, means that we deserve to die and receive God's judgment to go to hell and not heaven. In other words, we're disqualified for heaven. And that's because God being holy and us being not, the two cannot mix. So what are we going to do? Well, that's bad enough. The other problem is we don't even want to admit this dilemma, even though God already knows it all. And so out of love, God gave us something called the Ten Commandments to show us that we're really disqualified for heaven. We're not holy, we're not perfect like him. 
Uh, let's take a, a look at just a few of those uh, here today. Uh, the Bible says, the Ten Commandments says, you shall not bear false witness. That means lying. How many of you have ever told a lie before? Well, those of you who didn't raise your hand, you just did. Okay, let's be honest, folks. Let's not tell another lie. We've all lied. Well, believe it or not, that disqualifies you for heaven. That's how holy God is. He is the truth. He does not lie. And so that makes us a liar. Another of the Ten Commandments says you shall not steal. Okay, how many have ever taken anything without permission? Well, all of our hands should have went up at that one. Uh, we've already said we're a bunch of liars. Okay, well, we've all done that. And it doesn't have to be a bank. Uh, it could be a pencil in the third grade. Uh, that means that we're a thief. Okay, the Bible says that God is so holy, even his name is holy. And that's why one of the Ten Commandments says you shall not use the Lord's name in vain. Hey, folks, isn't it ironic how uh, now the blessed name of Jesus Christ, the Bible says there's no other name under heaven by which men might be saved, Jesus Christ, has now become a cuss word? Folks, the Bible says that's the sin of blasphemy. Okay? And folks, let's be honest. We've used God's name in vain uh, before. The Bible also says in the Ten Commandments, you shall not commit adultery. And Jesus takes the standard even higher. He says, listen, it's not just physical adultery. He says, surely I tell you, that if you look at another person with lust in your eye, you've committed adultery in your heart. God looks at the heart. One more out of the Ten Commandments says, you shall not murder. And you might say, well, hey, I haven't done that one. Really? The Bible says that the sin of hatred is akin to the sin of murder. You, in other words, in your heart, wish they were dead. You pulled the trigger, if you will, in your own heart. And the Bible says God sees that and it's just as bad. He knows the mind, he knows the hearts, the thoughts, and the intents that we have. Folks, that's just five out of the Ten Commandments. How are you doing? Not very well. None of us can keep them. They're God's x-ray to show us that we're disqualified. And so when, not if, your time comes, because we're all marching towards the grave at different speeds, you're going to have to stand before God, and you're going to have to uh, say who you really are. He already knows. Hey, God, let me into heaven. Uh, I'm, I'm a liar. I'm a thief. I'm a blasphemer, adulterer, and a murderer. Folks, the Bible is clear. Such people as these will not inherit the kingdom of heaven. That's the problem. Here's the good news. God so loved the world that he sent his one and only begotten son, Jesus Christ, that whoever believes in him, what he did on the cross, on our behalf, that we will not perish, we will not go to hell, but he will give us the gift of eternal life. Jesus died on the cross to forgive us of all of our sins. It's something that we don't earn. We, we, we can't earn. It's a gift, the Bible calls it. And a gift cannot be earned. He was taking the death penalty in our place. That's what the cross was of the day. And that if we would just ask Jesus Christ to forgive us of our sins and believe that in our heart that God raised him from the grave, showing that his death is satisfactory to God to forgive us of all of our sins, no matter what we've done, the Bible says, we shall be saved. Uh, the Apostle Paul says that if we confess with our mouth, Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart that God raised him from the grave, we will be saved. Let me give you a common analogy of what God's doing and what he did for us with Jesus dying on the cross on our behalf. Uh, in life, we know that people uh, can be sentenced for a crime uh, to where they're actually on death row. Uh, the courtroom scene has completely finished. The gavel has already sounded uh, they are going to jail and they're just awaiting their time before they go to the death penalty. Uh, as they're sitting there in the jail cell, uh, it, it's a proven fact they did what they did. Everybody knows it. They're just waiting for that time for their uh, number to come up, so to speak, and walk down that hall and be executed. Uh, there's nothing they could do to reverse their crime. No amount of good works in that jail cell can reverse what they've done. It's too late. It's over. But believe it or not, there's one way that people even today can get off a death row. And that's if the one in authority, the governor, if he were to, out of mercy and kindness, nothing that the person did, because they don't earn it and they don't deserve it, and they can't earn it, if he would grant them what's called a pardon, out of the kindness of his heart, he has the authority to grant them a pardon and absolve them completely of their crimes uh, against the state. And did you know that there's actually been people that this has happened to, that the governor, out of mercy, has granted them a pardon as a gift, and they've gone down to the jail cell, 
and handed that person, extended it through the bars, here, I'm granting you a pardon. If you would just receive it, you can go free right now. And did you know that there's actually been people who've said, no, I don't want your pardon. And so what happened is of their own doing, even though they had a way out, they still had to go to the death penalty. Folks, can I tell you something? That's what God did for us with Jesus dying on the cross. He sent his son to take the death penalty in our place. He, God, has the authority to grant us through Jesus a complete pardon. And every day that you're still alive, God is extending to you spiritually this pardon. But a pardon does you no good unless you reach out and receive it by faith. Won't you do that today? Won't you call upon the name of Jesus Christ? Ask him to forgive you of all of your sins, to trust in his work on the cross, to pardon us from all of our crimes, our sins against God. God loves you. He wants a relationship with you. But there's only one way to heaven. It's Jesus. There's only one way to get off a death row. It's through the cross of Jesus Christ. Won't you do that right now? Well, this has been Pastor Billy Crone of Sunrise Baptist Church and, and Get a Life Ministries. And if there's anything that we can do for you, uh, please don't hesitate uh, to contact us. Uh, our number, our information will uh, come up here on the screen shortly. And uh, uh, if there's anything we could do for you, please don't hesitate to let us know. Uh, thank you for uh, joining us. And uh, remember, I hope to see you in heaven. God bless.